0: Welcome back to Bible Love. Today, we are short a co-host. Marianne Balfour called me this morning to let me know that her beloved grandmother died um, last night. We're recording on Monday, so she died on uh, Sunday, August 20th. And so I thought for the prayer today, we would do um, one of the commendatory prayers from the burial office. So let us pray. Into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant, Will Mary, acknowledge we humbly beseech you a sheep of your own fold a lamb of your own flock a sinner of your own redeeming receive her into the arms of your mercy into the blessed rest of everlasting peace and into the glorious company of the saints and light amen amen
1: What a wonderful 99-year-long life.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Hopefully, when we have Mary Balfour back next week, um, she can reflect a little bit on what she's learned um, from her grandmother. I'll get to introducing our guest. You all know her. She's got a new title, and I don't know what her new title means, so we will ask her to explain that. But she was a parish priest for a while. Mary Balfour as a parish priest this week. It's one of those weird moments where she's both grieving the loss of her grandmother and helping plan her grandmother's funeral. And it's something that that it's this thing that you're celebrating a life and grieving a life at the same time. So please keep Mary Balfour in your prayers this week. So you all see here, we are joined by the Venerable Janie Wilson, who is Archdeacon of the Episcopal Diocese of Upper South Carolina. She was with us a while back, uh, helped us talk about Ruth. Back then, she was rector of um, our Savior, right? Our Savior, Rock Hill. Our Savior in Rock
1: Hill. Shout out. So now she has a new title.
0: Yeah, Rock Hill. I love going up there. So, Janie, what is an archdeacon and what do you do?
1: What am I? What is an archdeacon? You know, while the bishop was trying to figure out who I might be, we went back and forth between canon and archdeacon. And at truly the 11th hour, uh, I found out that I was actually going to be the archdeacon when I went through my final contract. Um, And I was very, very pleased about that because there's a sense of servanthood in all the work we do but especially in the archdeacon. And we had for a long time here, a wonderful archdeacon, Fred Bird, who really served all the missions and, and did all of that. And for those who don't know me, that's kind of, I didn't start my ministries in an archdeacon, but I did start my ministry in mission. I served the Eastern Kentucky churches in Appalachia and was ordained at St. Mark's in Hazard, Shout out to St. Mark's. Um, and so that sense of helping, obviously, I'm an assistant to the bishop. I work with transition for the churches. Stephen Rhodes, the Canon to the Ordinary, and I do transition together. I begin the congregations. We're often both there depending on how the previous rector leaves or whether it's a, you know, a retirement celebration or what we try to be present for that, but then also present at that moment of transition. And then I start with the congregations working with the vestries, helping them choose a search committee. The uh, applications come into me when that happens Frank Ballard is still, I could not stand up straight without him. He's doing a lot of the um, technical work for this, but I'm learning how to do it as well so that that's a good thing. And I'm also helping to find a way to restart the School for Deacons. That's part of my letter of agreement, and lots and lots and lots of pastoral care to our retired clergy, to clergy who need it in the traces, to the staff at Diocesan House. So it's a full plate, but I am, I'm loving it. And we settled into West Columbia and found a house there that our dogs love, which is great. They have a big yard. So they're running around and, and are happy. Not so happy in Columbia's summer, but they'll be happy yeah. when, to fall.
0: Famously hot Columbia, right? Famously um, hot Columbia. I they were not it.
1: wrong, it turns out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm trying to judge the angles. Are you in uh Canon Hartley's former office?
1: I might be. I'm in the office when you come straight out of the elevator and go straight. I'm in that office.
0: I don't Sorry, remember whose that is, but just in see. case it was was Jimmy's, um you might need to exercise that place. Oh, you think so? Yeah, yeah I can
1: see the state house. Um
0: oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I miss. For those of y'all who are relatively new, a couple of years ago, I left diocesan staff where Janie is in the cathedral where diocesan house is, is right next to the the Columbia State House, the South Carolina State House. It's beautiful walking to lunch. Oh, yeah. It's better than suburban Fort Worth walking to lunch. I just <laughs> <laughs> uh, equally as hot. All right. But we we're not here to reminisce about. We aren't as
1: much fun as that is. We have yeah. to be wise. Uh, we have to be yeah. wise now and not
0: foolish. Yeah, speaking of wise and not foolish, we are continuing when wrapping up with Proverbs. We did kind of the first half, 1 through 15, last week. We're going to do 16 through 31. Maybe we're going to focus maybe on some specific areas in there. But Proverbs, Janie, how do we become wise?
1: Well, I think the first thing I want to say is if you read this as a checklist, you're going to feel humiliated and lost before you ever start because you get you get the wisdom in these little kernels that are just spread throughout here but it's like literally a whole lot of wise people mostly solomon as it turns out but not all solomon um you know, King Hezekiah loved Solomon too. And so he had to repeat everything. So some of what we aren't going to go there, but some of that is repeated. And there's a lot of overlap in this, but it's like the parable of the seed sower. I think these just all get broadcast. And then if you need something, you know, it could be comforting. I think if you're feeling like we're going to I'm going to lift up one about Alan's going to love this one because he's raising teenage boys, which I've also done. Um, there, There's some rules about how you are with your children. And I think it's not that we have permission to be violent with them, which is how you could read that when we get to it. but But that we are the keepers of shaping them to be adults. And that requires tough love and discipline. And if you're a parent, it's okay that you know that. And so there are those kinds of things in here that are just really wonderful. But I I think also, it's, it's how we're inspired to be. It's not that we read these things, and we're like, today, I'm going to, um, I'm not going to be arrogant. Because it says in 16.5, all those who are arrogant are an abomination to the Lord. Be assured they will not go unpunished. Well, so I'm not going to be arrogant today. Um, I couldn't probably if I tried. I think Ellen knows that about me. But um, but I think it's more that I want to be inspired to not be arrogant, right? We all have a moment in our life when we think we know what's right. We think we're going to and we're going to tell people that even if we're not arrogant by nature, we have arrogant moments. So being inspired to live in ways that meet the spirit of Proverbs, to me is what makes sense. So I thought just for fun, I would go through a few of these, and we can lift them up and talk about them. And i Truly, I let the Spirit do my highlighting this morning. The staff was on retreat last week, so it came back to a whole lot of—I did work on this yesterday, but it came back to a whole lot of uh, voicemails. So, so 16.6, let's start there. By loyalty and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by fear of the Lord, one avoids evil." Well, one of my favorite things is to understand that fear of the Lord in this case is actually reverence, that if we're faithful, then we understand that God will help us. God will help us not to do the bad things. And then seven is just like, okay, if you get through six, and you understand that you need to revere the Lord, and God will help you not do the bad things. When the ways of the people please the Lord, he causes even their enemies to be at peace with them. So I love that verse because it's not that God's out there knocking down the bowling pins of the people we'd rather not see in front of us. But the truth is, when we follow the path that God asks us to follow, the enmity is not as sharp. We find ways of understanding how someone is in that day that's making them behave like truly atrocious people. But um,
0: yeah, I think that's because, you know, you can read things like this and, and other places in scripture where it sounds like as long as you're doing what God wants you to do, everything's going to be perfect. You won't be And like the history of the Israelite people is anything but that. I mean, exactly. they have their own. They're not always being faithful to God, but even when they're on their best behavior, Calamity still happens. And so I think you're reframing it as it helps us see different when we're faithful, we can see things differently. Not that the world becomes rosy, right. but that we can, we can approach things. And it better. helps
1: us manage it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just, it, it is about living in community. Ultimately a lot of proverbs is about living yeah. in community and I'll come back to that. So, um, I, I, again, having raised teenage boys, 17-1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So, actually, we usually had really good dinner table conversation. That was not a problem. But what I think about with that, of course, my mind goes to, to the Eucharist, to the rail, to the fact that... um If we're sitting next to someone that we have not made up with, someone that just drives us crazy, if we're receiving communion from a priest that we believe has treated us without respect, there are all these things that happen in that moment, as I shake my computer, um, that, that just, to me, that's just a really rich thing that preparing to really feast in that case has a lot more to do than what we're ingesting with food. That there's a spiritual way of approaching it with love and light and hope and forgiveness. So, I don't know. That's how I read that one. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. It's, you know, preparing ourselves. And we think about in the Eucharist, you know, the peace comes right before and we're preparing ourselves for relationship. We're preparing ourselves for for the blessings that come from that. And it extends. Yeah. Right. It like, does. you know, as a single dad hauling two teenagers around, we're lucky if we get to the table a couple times a week um, around the dinner table, but that's the moment, even if it's like grabbing burgers on the road, there's something about sharing a meal with people There is that allows and, you to. And I if,
1: remember that the best conversations are in the car. Yeah, And in the car over food at this yeah. stage of your life and to be okay with that because, and, you know, here's the, here's the trial of that stage. You know, you, you see it as just busy and awkward and not what you want to be doing that you're rushing from point A to point B, but you'll look back on it as the really good times. And so seeing it now as a feast, yeah, that's, that's a positive way to be. Well, for Walker and Ruby and Hensley, I have to read verse 6 and 17. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. If I'm the venerable now, I have to be aged, right? And the glory of children is their parents. So um, let's see. I get to see two of them. Actually, I actually get to see all three of the grants in the next three weeks. So I'm really oh, excited wow that I
0: haven't seen them in a while. You know, seeing that right—that's a reminder. Like, obviously, you know, Solomon. People back then knew parenting was hard. Yeah, uh, it's grandparenting. Never not I too hear hard. is, I hear grandparenting's easy. It's all the fun stuff. Parenting can be really hard, but to have someone who maybe struggled with yelling at their kids or losing their temper to write down, you know, the glory of children is their parent, like that's the aim we're going to fail like you said this isn't a checklist that we have to do all this in order to but this is the goal this is the aim i need to remember yeah like kids are a blessing god has given me the stir like please don't kill these two boys right like that's the aim um, that we strive for i think with all of these that's a great reminder that you had it's not a checklist it's the goal yeah
1: Well, and I think, you know, the other part of that that I see is we raised our children. They are doing a phenomenal job of raising their children without our help or assistance. We're very far away. But they are a glory to me now because of the way they're raising them that I see that we couldn't have done everything wrong, even if they're doing everything the opposite of the way we did it. And it's defiance that they're raising their children is we We still helped, right? <laughs> you know there's just this way of um but there's more to it than that, of course, so um seventeen has a lot about self focusing the way that we um the way that we tend to only see with tunnel vision, what is reflecting on us and and it comes right out in the first verse and says it. The one who lives alone is self-indulgent, showing contempt for all who have sound judgment. And I don't see that as someone living alone. I see that as someone encased in their own self-absorption. And I have no idea what Solomon would say about that. But I think that's the prison. We all know we have people who are isolated who should not be, and we should be doing more about that. That's not what this is talking about. This is about someone Whether they're in pain, whether their life situation just really stinks right now, but that's all they can see. They won't listen to wisdom. We've all seen this as priests, too, but we've seen it as friends, as parents. When someone wants to sit in the potsherd, when they choose that, nothing we say is going to make a difference. Only our presence will make a difference in that way. Um, I also love verse eight. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels, right? Yeah. Uh, They go down into the innermost, the inner parts of the body. Don't gossip, people. Don't do it. Um, Was there ever a community that didn't gossip? You know, I've always known that as a rector, but as the archdeacon, I'm like, let's talk about this clearly and plainly in a public way. And by the time I get there, everybody knows something. They know something. They may not be, they may not know it, but. Yeah. yeah.
0: And there's some folks that love to tell you whatever. And, you know, like, it's up to us. Like, we are the ones that can break those triangles of gossip and be like, that's great. I encourage you to tell so-and-so to come talk to me. Right? Like. Right. You don't need to talk to me on behalf of someone necessarily. No, no. Or you don't just need to to talk about what you know.
1: If you absolutely must come with them. But this, yeah. this needs to be, yeah. How would you think about 19.8? To get wisdom is to love oneself. To keep understanding is to prosper. I feel like, again, that's kind of... I mean, I'm sure some people would say maybe that's about self-differentiation. And maybe it is a little bit. But I think it's also, you know, Bishop Bishop Curry always says, you know, love God, love yourself. There's just this kind of we're not really able to love other people truly if we can't at least occasionally see ourselves as God sees us. Yeah. Let's see. What about the bad way we acquire things in verse, in chapter 20, verse 17? Bread gained by deceit is sweet, but afterward the morsel will be full of gravel. It's probably just my own guilt, but retail therapy comes to mind with that verse. (laughs) That, you know, you (laughs) get You're like, I, I really need that tunic. And then yeah. you get it into your closet and you're like, I didn't need that. T- I, I didn't need it. Yeah.
0: I think we all, buyer's remorse, regret mm-hmm. over, yeah, things feel great in the moment. But then we're right. like, I There's shouldn't anything. have said that or I didn't need that or whatever it is.
1: Right. Exactly. It doesn't have to be about buying anything at all. It's it's not stepping back and focusing on the larger picture. Yeah. For sure. okay, 22. here you go. Um, this is one of the places I did another one. Oh okay yeah, 22 and 23. I'm going to do those together. Yeah need to um, six through nine, train children in the right way and when old they will not stray. And then down to eight whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. And then uh, going over to twenty-three, thirteen, Do not withhold discipline from your children. If you beat them with a rod, they will not die. If you beat them with the rod, you will save their lives from Sheol. My child, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. So, you've got these two chapters that talk about the rod, and the difference I see is anger. The rod of anger and the rod of discipline are not the same thing. So, you're, yeah, you're more in the throes hard. of that right now than I am. So, I'll let you talk about that.
0: But, yeah, I mean, that, that goes back to the wisdom piece and the regret piece, right? Like you just talked about there. I say things in the moment because I'm worked up with the boys that five minutes later when I'm, you know, calm and self-regulated, like I have to go and apologize to my boys because that's me speaking out of anger. That's the rod in in a bad way. But there's other times that like I do have to discipline and it doesn't feel great. Like I don't like that my boys are upset with me or whatever.
1: No, it feels terrible.
0: But but, but the there's parent. the difference. I'm not doing it right. Like, mm-hmm. I think parents can easily um, punish out of revenge versus yeah. out of discipline.
1: Or even out of desperation or frustration yeah. or exhaustion.
0: Yeah. Right? And so that, and, you know, I, so I love the, the how it, um, those balance out. Like, this is not how you do it. But, but if you discipline, you're not actually going to kill the child. You know, you've. Spare the rod, spoil the child. We hear that, but we think it's all about corporal punishment and spanking. And right. I was spanked. I can tell you, my dad you. counted to three in Hebrew. And if he got to Shalosh, I knew I was going to get the belt. Um, <laughs> and we spanked the boys early on and learned that that didn't work for them. So I'm not like against that. But but that's another way that that can quickly turn into to something that's unwise.
1: Well, it does. But the rod in this case could be just holding the line. Yeah. That's hard enough to do, isn't it? Yeah. Just holding the line.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm aware of our time. So I'm going to lift up 24-1 as the admonition against social media.
0: Do ah. not envy
1: the wicked nor desire to be with them, for their minds devise violence and their lips talk of mischief. I think that's pretty self-representative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I think um, from there, I kind of want to skip up to 30 if that's okay. Sure. think you want to lift up in those other chapters?
0: No, no, I think it's all, I mean, there's so much in there, but some of it's kind of the same general idea, just said different It is. Ways. It's a
1: different way of saying it. I mean, yeah. it would be a fun activity, maybe in retirement I'll go through and find all the ones that say the same thing differently Yeah. and um, make a quilt or something. I don't know. But, um, but there you have it. I did want to lift up 30, 24 through 28, because one of the big pieces of my own spirituality, which tends a little bit towards Celtic, is just God's creation and that we are the part of it, and that rulers doesn't mean being rulers the way we think. It means being rulers. So I love that this wisdom here lifts up um, in, in verse 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people without strength, yet they provide their food in the summer. The badgers are a people without power, yet they make their homes in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard can be grasped in the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. I just love those verses. You can go on to lions and goats after that if you want to, but but the sense that If all creation turns together to living as God created and hoped we would be, the ants, the locusts, the badgers, within themselves, they largely have harmony. They're working together. There's something there we could learn, I think. Yeah.
0: I mean, these are things that are small, considered pests, but seeing that they have that within them that, that even the small can do this, even the the pest can do this. I think it helps mm-hmm. us again reframe how we look at other people based on how we look at these creatures.
1: exactly, exactly, but also that to to me when I read that, the ants and the badgers were given gifts for survival. Yeah. God has given us gifts to survive in community, and we yeah. fail to use them. We have turned against you, yes. So there, there is that that kind of piece of it. A little bit of Percy weaving through those for me, uh, and then thirty one, if we have time for that. Of course, the first thing I love, especially thinking about um, my oldest son in particular, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Where would the king be without his mother, right? And to my great joy, I am great friends with all three of our sons. But um but the but the old one, the oldest one, we'll kind of talk to each other about wisdom things. I mean, and as your boys grow, you'll learn that you reach out to some one of them for one thing and one of them for another. You know that it's that that's kind of a good thing. But then she basically makes sure if you read this through a human lens, that he's never going to find a wife.
0: He's always going to need her. I had never picked up that this is a future mother-in-law describing who she would be okay. And like mother-in-law jokes aside, whatever. But I think that's funny. You're right. It's very funny. It's like,
1: you know, an Oracle's mother taught him and is waiting for him to find someone that can live up to this. Right. And of course, um, that's not the way love works. It's not the way love works in the responding or anything else. And, you know, people do, I think, I could be wrong, but I think this is one of the few that makes it into the lectionary, isn't it? The capable wife so. you can find. Yeah, um, I know I preached on it, and I don't yeah. think it was just at a women's retreat. I've written about it before, too. But but I do want our listeners to note, just like the rest of Proverbs, don't see this as a checklist. You can't do it. No one can do it. You can want to do it. You can hope with your heart to do it. If you actually follow it like a checklist, you're not going to be a capable wife. You're going to be impossible to be around. It's not about the doing here. It's about the being. Yeah. And so, and, and she's saying, who can find this wife, right? She lets him know that he's got his work cut out for him, finding a wife that's going to meet not just her expectations, but God's. So, the heart of the husband trusts in her, of her husband, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Well, we could stop right there with marriage vows, right? That would probably be enough. That is a really good thing. But then, she does all the things in the dark She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like ships of the merchant. She brings her food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides food for her household and tasks for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hand. She plants a vineyard. I have always loved that in her lane, she has the power to make the decisions and to do things that bring things to the family. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong, and I don't think that's going to the gym, although it would be good self-care. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. So when we talk about seeing the big picture and thinking ahead, that is what this imagined person is doing. She's not afraid for her household when she snows because she already thought about it, right? She makes linen garments and sells them. She makes sure that her husband is ready to go out and be presented at the gates of the city. Because if she's the one doing the clothes, she's not sending him out with an unironed cloak, right? It's, there's just, there's just something about this. It is more about living in community. It's more about stepping back and saying, what do we need to do to be faithful? to do what God has put us here to do. How do we work together? We know she has servant girls. She is caring for them, but she is also asking them to care for the community. So she's modeling the way that you can do that. The the piece of this I love, and I think you and I talked about this before, at least one person um, who's um, should quote, Dermot Cox and the Oxford Companion to the Bible questions if this is not the bookend to the first nine chapters, and that this is indeed a description of Lady Wisdom herself, oh, wow. not something any of anyone who's human can aspire to, but we can be inspired by. Yeah. We can step back, we can see the big picture. Right now, I don't believe it's ever gonna snow in Columbia. <laughs> but I'll be ready if it does, right? It's that kind of that kind of thing. And so at the end, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her happy. Her husband too, and he praises her. And so there's this sense of, for me at least, as a mom and a grandmother, what are the generations, as an archdeacon, what are people going to remember about me? I hope that they'll remember that I'm faithful and that I dealt with kindness and with compassion and that I did see the whole field and tried to help them see it too. But... But I just, I want them to remember me happily. And sometimes I think back to when our boys were little. And it's like, what do they remember? Was I always working and trying to get it done and didn't have time? I remember the times when I would pause and really be present with them. But do they? Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a, to me, it's an inspiration that the essence of who we are when we walk faithfully with God, becomes that example and community that others are drawn to and can emulate. And when that happens, we're more like the ants than the badgers. We live in community with a common goal and a common way of loving one another. And that's what Jesus asked us to do.
0: I think that's great. And I love, you know, wrapping up with Proverbs 31. It's probably the Proverbs, the part that most folks know, because like popularly, but I think it highlights the fact that we're not reading this as, an, you know, what we have to do. I love that idea of reading this as the bookend. We talked about wisdom at the beginning. Dr. Tony talked about it. This is the culmination. This Proverbs 31 woman, whatever, is actually what wisdom looks like. And so mm-hmm. if we strive for wisdom, yeah, we're going to do some of these things. We don't have to. But that's the goal. And I think along the way, it changes how we see ourselves. There's proverbs about self-care. It changes how we interact with community. There's tons of proverbs about that. It even changes how we approach our relationship with God. Kind of the whole Christian life is wrapped up in, in seeking wisdom, seeking to, to live up to the ideals that Solomon and others set forth here
1: and And I would even say, Alan, that the part I read last about strength and dignity or in her clothing, the examples of what happened in the first kind of checklist of the things she does before dawn, when we walk faithfully and we believe God is with us, we are able to let go of some of the petty, worries, jealousies, all those other things that take us away from God's walk. And we're able to do with love the things we've been called to do in our lives. So, I see that list as an example of that's what this woman in her place can do when she does this. So, I take inspiration from it for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's the goal for all of Scripture, but in particular, something like this is like, don't let yourselves get beat up by it, but see it as inspiration. See it as what it means to live fully human. So, Janie, thank you for You're helping welcome. walk us through this this second bit of Proverbs. Thanks for
1: asking me back. It's so good yeah, to have you.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's great to be with you, and we'll have you back again. We're going to wrap up um, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, this school year. So, by next summer, we'll be making a turn to the New Testament. We'll have you come in and talk about Jesus, maybe.
1: Maybe. I would love to. I always love to talk about Jesus.
0: Yeah. That'd
1: be good. Thanks, Alan.
0: You're welcome. And listeners, remember that we love you. But as always, most importantly, God does.